From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Zoltan Naj on easing into femtosecond cataract surgery, and John Kenalopoulos on high-fluence riboflavin cross-linking. It might be that in some parts it cuts too deep, and in some parts it doesn't cut at all. First this. This year's ASCRS annual symposium was great. I learned a lot that I'm applying to my practice right now. If I have any complaint, it's that I couldn't get to all the sessions I wanted to because some of them overlapped. That's why I'm so excited about the new ASCRS Media Center. More than 1,300 sessions from that meeting are now available through this great new resource. See what you missed or revisit the most interesting sessions. The Media Center is free to all meeting attendees. Stay tuned after the podcast for more information. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the annual meeting of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we will listen to Zoltan Naj on easing into femtosecond cataract surgery and John Kenalopoulos on high-fluence riboflavin cross-linking. All of the interviews were fantastically interesting, and I learned a lot in these conversations. I hope that you enjoy them as much as I did. Zoltan, like a lot of cataract surgeons, uh, I'm very interested in femtosecond laser surgery, but I, I haven't personally done it. Let, let me ask you about the complications associated with femtosecond cataract surgery. Do they mostly deal with the capsulotomy? So, uh, thanks for the question. I've been doing the first femtosecond cataract case in 2008, August. So, since almost five years elapsed. And, of course, uh, when we started, uh, there were some surprises and uh, some difficulties, and mainly regarding the capsulotomy. But uh, during this past four and a half year, it uh, all have been solved. And I think now the safety and uh, the complication rate is very similar to refractive uh, surgical complications. So, it's below one person. Uh, at the beginning we didn't have an inbuilt uh, OCT so then we had to measure everything uh, before surgery and of course when the patient was lying in the bed and we put on the patient interface onto the eye and uh, it was pressed down a little bit then uh, uh, the geometry changed a little bit so we had to plan very carefully where to cut within the anterior capsule when the OCT appeared within the machine so it became an integrated part of the uh, femtosecond laser then it became much easier now with the last year's development we have uh, uh, with the Lensex machine, the new SoftFit uh, patient interface, which uh, gives almost a 95-96% free floating capsulotomy. Before we had uh, some small tags and we had to uh, carefully observe before starting surgery that uh, how it went and uh, we had to follow the contour of the capsulotomy, but now uh, I think the safety of the procedure increased uh, uh, really uh, very much. and. Uh, 
then uh, it's a free-floating capsule and then you simply can take it out from the eye. Uh, the main advantage of this uh, type of capsule, Tommy, that we can have very consistent results regarding diameter and also the position of the capsule, Tommy. So with the premium lenses, it really made uh, the procedure more predictable and uh, we can have the maximal benefit and maximal results what these uh, premium lenses can provide for the patients. Other complication might be redness of the eye. Uh, when patients are on anticoagulant therapy, then there might be some uh, bleeding of the cornea or some redness. But if we inform, so according to my experience, if we inform the patients beforehand, it's never a problem. Uh, small uh, problems can be also opening the uh, corner wound but if you plan uh, carefully uh, the surgery before then it's really not a problem uh, what the problem can cause that if you are too uh, far away from the limbus so you can cut the conjunctiva and some vessels and then uh, opening with the blunt spatula the corneal wound can be uh, quite difficult but uh, as I emphasized before that uh, proper planning uh, of the procedure can avoid uh, this complication also. Fragmentation it's a big advantage, uh, the third one of the procedure, that we can avoid uh, phacoemulsification energy uh, during the first part of the surgery, so the femtolaser makes uh, this uh, fragmentation line within the lens uh, and then uh, you can simply fragment the lens into four, six, eight or whatsoever quadrants and then you can spare phacoemulsification energy and time. Zoltan, was the primary problem with the capsulotomy, let's say, that um, that initially uh, some of the anterior capsules were not absolutely orthogonal to the to the laser beam? Uh, yes, the question is correct. Uh, when we had the OCT, the, this OCT was programmed to identify the highest and lowest point uh, of the capsule. So you can imagine when the patient is lying and the patient interface is not uh, uh, perfectly centered, then there might be a, some tilt uh, of the lens, the crystalline lens. And uh, if it's not identified the lowest and the highest point of the uh, anterior capsule, then it might be that in some parts it cuts too deep uh, in the anterior uh, part of the lens and in some parts it doesn't cut at all. So therefore there might be some small tags and uncut area at the beginning. It was very rare, but it was not uh, uh, perfectly uh, predictable. In 50-60% uh, of the cases we had free-floating uh, capsule, but in the other rest of the cases there were some tags and uh, so then we had to observe the tail tail sign. Tail tail sign uh, could be some bubbles trapped under the anterior capsule and uh, also uh, the uh, not to see the gutter line of, of the capsulotomy. So in that cases, I always identified uh, the parts where it's, it was a complete uh, cut. Uh, and then uh, I grabbed with the rexis forceps the anterior capsule and followed the contour of the uh, capsulotomy line because it was always uh, could be always seen quite well. If there were some uh, questionable cases like uh, a major cataract and when you don't have a a good read right reflex, then we could uh, dye the anterior capsule uh, with uh, methylene blue uh, capsule dye, and uh, then it was also a, 
uh, help for identifying the cut line. So I never had problem uh, with the capsulotomy because I was very cautious. But uh, when other surgeons started and they didn't realize that it's a different kind of surgery and we uh, really have to appreciate it and uh, there's a, uh, quite uh, a learning curve which uh, contains about 100 uh, cases. All my complications occurred during the first 100 cases and this was also uh, emphasized in the literature that uh, all other surgeons uh, when had some minor problems it occurred during the first 100 cases so this is literally li really something different that there's a learning curve but if you respect that this is an, another procedure then you can avoid these complications. I'm really looking forward to starting femtosecond cataract surgery and I'm sure that you know that anytime that we do something new there's a little anxiety on the surgeon's part. Please give me one or two pearls that are going to lower my blood pressure for the first couple of cases. I think first of all you need a proper education about the technology, about the possible results and how to implement uh, such a surgery. Uh, you have to know the capabilities of the, your new femtosecond laser. There's a constant development in this field, so every six months uh, appearing uh, new technology. For example, uh, now we uh, can work with the high-definition OCT, which gives us really a beautiful image uh, of the anterior segment. And uh, with the aid of this uh, new uh, soft fit uh, patient interface, there's no corner folds because beforehand uh, there was some corner folds which also could interfere with the energy level. With the new software, it, uh, the energy level went down. So I think uh, uh, maybe you can proceed uh, step by step. So first the capsulotomy, then uh, you can uh, implement in your surgery the fragmentation, and as a third part, the corner wound and to control the preoperative corner astigmatism. So if you do this gradually, then I think you can avoid uh, the major complications. The procedure is now very short. It's, it takes 44 to 60 seconds. And uh, so I think everything is on proper preoperative planning. I see all patients uh, uh, the first part of the morning. Then I know that uh, uh, how to plan uh, the femsecond laser pre pre-operative uh, treatment and then on the operative uh, table I only have to set uh, the machine and everything is done automatically. You need a good uh, technical uh, person who takes care of the femsecond laser, energy level and optical part and so on and uh, a very good staffing in the OR because it needs uh, to reorganize your surgical flow. You can put the laser either in the operating room or outside the OR because the, this uh, kind of corner wound is self-sealing so it does not open by itself. If you want to use uh, more surgeons than you uh, at the same time the femtosecond laser then it's uh, practical to place it outside the OR. If you are the only surgeon who is using it, then you can place just the OR and then uh, you have to have a survival bed and then you just uh, shift the patient under the operating microscope and you can start immediately the surgery. So it's up to you. These lasers can uh, provide uh, other procedures like corner procedures, so then you also have to think over where to place the laser because if you want to use it for refractive purposes like uh, LASIK flap creation, then it's... Uh, uh, 
really suggested to place it outside the OR. So I think if you have a proper learning, you respect that this is another procedure and uh, you need some other equipments like a blunt spatula to open the corner wound, a special rexis forceps to remove uh, the anterior capsule. You can do it, of course, uh, do it with the uh, phacoal musification head as well. But uh, I think at the beginning you have to respect all steps uh, of the procedure and if you implement it gradually, then I think you can avoid uh, major problems. Uh, the other thing which I, what I suggest that uh, during the learning curve you should do a gentle hydrodissection and uh, you should move a little bit the nucleus up and down to uh, allow the bubble trapped within the lens to uh, leave the eye uh, toward the anterior chamber. If you do, if you do not perform a gentle hydrodissection and you do not uh, do this so-called, I call it rock and roll uh, techniques, then the bubble may leave uh, toward the posterior part of the eye, and this can cause a rupture of the the trap bubble, the rupture of the posterior capsule. I think uh, this is the major uh, problem, but with proper surgical technique. Uh, you can avoid this. This is never a problem of the femsecond pretreatment. This is a surgical issue, and uh, I think you have to do everything in order to avoid uh, this problem. Zoltan, this is real science fiction stuff. It's really cool. It was a great talk today, and, and I'm, I'm just really glad that you were able to join me. Thanks. Thank you very much. And now my conversation with John Kenilopoulos on high-fluence riboflavin crosslinking. We're going to be talking about collagen cross-linking, and I, I want to start out asking you, in the context of your own practice, who are the bulk of your cross-linking patients? I think if we're uh, asking me, Josh, this question, uh, it actually so turns out that over the last 15 years, uh, collagen cross-linking is almost 50% of my cornea practice. As a cornea surgeon, I always dealt with uh, keratoconus patients. Currently in Southern uh, Europe, I see anywhere from 40 to 50 young keratoconic patients a week. So with this astounding number of, of uh, endemic uh, uh, presentation of, of a keratoconus, we end up uh, uh, managing the progression with uh, our combined technique, um, normalization with uh, topography-guided uh, laser and higher-fluence collagen cross-linking. So it's any, anywhere from five to 10 cases a week that we perform. Uh, from mainly Greek patients, but we see patients from all over the world. John, what is high-fluence collagen cross-linking, and how does it differ from standard collagen cross-linking? Uh, we introduced the concept of uh, higher-fluence collagen cross-linking uh, in an attempt to be able to cross-link a cornea that we had placed a single amount of riboflavin through a femtosecond laser pocket. This is almost 10 years ago, and in that process, we automatically turned into the standard cross-linking procedure and applied uh, higher fluence uh, anywhere from instead of 3 milliwatts, which is the standard Dresden or Zurich protocol, to 6, 10, 15, uh, 30, and currently 45, believe it or not, milliwatts per centimeter square. Now, the advantages of using higher fluence is obviously you shorten significantly the amount of time needed for the procedure because the actual energy delivered to the cornea is the same. Um, some of the dis potential disadvantages where if there's potential oxygen there to drive the procedure. Uh, we have uh, conclusive data from our studies and we've published on this that uh, it actually works at least at the same and there's a potential advantage of uh, using higher fluence 
uh, being less destructive to cornea keratocytes as fibrocytes in nature in general are more resistant to higher fluence for a short amount of time uh, against lower fluence uh, exposed for a longer amount of time. Having said that, John, are the indications for high fluence different from standard fluence? Uh, and given the advantages that you mentioned, are, are you even doing standard fluence anymore, or are all of your patients now high fluence patients? I thank you for asking this question because I think it's key to what we practice uh, in our center currently. We do not use standard um, fluence uh, collagen cross-linking with the only exception for treating infectious keratitis. Uh, there, we want to have very long exposure times with lower fluence to potentially uh, then become uh, uh, bacterial and fungicidal. Now, as far as the higher fluence, we use um, uh, 6 milliwatts for our standard Athens protocol technique, which is the very frugal topography-guided normalization and collagen cross-linking. So it's 6 milliwatts for 15 minutes. And then we use 30 milliwatts for our LASIK extra technique in which at the conclusion of a LASIK procedure, we reinforce the cornea through the reposition flap and after we have placed a small amount of riboflavin within the exp exposed stromal bed. And we have proven, uh, actually uh, in last year's meeting, uh, this got the best residence uh, uh, paper, that in application of this in hyperopia, we have a very significant stabilization of the hyperopic correction three years to come. Uh, regression in hyperopia over two years in hyperopic LASIK uh, has been a big problem uh, internationally. John, this is really neat stuff. It was a really good talk, and I'm just really happy to have you here today. Josh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Zoltan Naj is professor at the Department of Ophthalmology in Semmelweis University in Budapest, Hungary. John Kenalopoulos is professor of ophthalmology at the NYU School of Medicine in New York, New York, and director of LaserVision.gr Institute in Athens, Greece. Here's some additional information about the new ASCRS Media Center. Almost all of the 2012 ASCRS ASOA meeting was audio and video recorded. And there are now more than 1,300 sessions featuring almost 1,000 speakers available online. You can view the general sessions, ASCRS paper sessions, symposia, films and posters, plus select courses and ASOA sessions on business management. It's essentially the entire meeting anytime you want, and it's all available through the new ASCRS Media Center. If you attended the meeting, your Media Center access is free. If you're a current ASCRS or ASOA member but didn't attend, you can still see everything that you missed for the member price of $199. If you're not an ASCRS member, you can still purchase the Media Center, or better yet, join us and get the lower member price. To view the 2012 meeting through the Media Center, Visit the ASCRS website at www.ascrs.org. If you're already a member, log in first and then click the Media Center link. If you're a guest, just click the Media Center link at the top of the page. From there, you can purchase the Chicago 2012 package or, better yet, join the ASCRS and receive the discounted member price.
ask questions of Dr. Naj, Dr. Kanalopoulos, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jmd at gmail.com. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.